0: Welcome to The Institute, a podcast on the lives and work of fellows and friends of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Philip Hollingsworth. In this episode, IH director Mark Katz and I speak with Oscar-winning music producer T-Bone Burnett. He shares with us his earliest memories of music as well as insight on current projects. Burnett also talks about the process of his many music collaborations as well as his views on analog and digital technologies in music production. I would like to ask you um, if you have any recollections on how you were first introduced to music and where that love kind of initiated and took hold.
1: You know, my parents loved music, and they had a couple of shelves of 78 albums, down in the basement, you know, and it was a, down in the lower room, and uh, there was a record player down there, and they were kind of, I, I guess at that time, 33 and a third had come out, so those 78s were sort of relegated to the past already, but I started digging them out and listened to, listening to them, and they were, they, they were these exotic recordings by Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong, and and uh, and Bing Crosby, early Crosby was so great, but but they were atmospheric. So I noticed, I noticed place. You know, I would they would take me to a place, and that's when I noticed sort of the what mystical element of music. And then then it was a big uh, that was a doorway in a big a big question mark about what was this exactly? You know. It's interesting coming, you know. It didn't. It wasn't. Music wasn't in the house really, except for that. Nobody was playing at that time. Uh-huh.
2: So uh, I'll jump in here. Uh, one of the things about seventy eights is that they're heavy and they have a kind of heft to them, and they and and there's that physical aspect of it. And I wonder if you have any. Kind of sensory memories of, of playing with the technology, whether it's the dusty records or, sure. or you know, putting the needle down on on the groove. Do you have any uh, any vivid memories of that kind of interaction with music technology?
1: Yeah, of course. And breaking them, they were very breakable. You know, there was shellac, so you could snap them just pulling them out of the dust cover the wrong way. You know? But yeah, and you know all of that stuff i do like all that physical that physical reality i like instruments actual instruments that are moving air and i like the fact that in in the analog world the every everything moves in waves all sound moves in waves the speaker waves the guitar string waves the the mic diaphragm on the microphone waves every you know every the the and the grooves on the record wave it's all it's all speaking the same language and then as soon as you translate it into digital that wave gets uh turned into stair steps so you never have the the same uh amount of resonance that you would out of this physical thing happening you know you you know the there are digital samples of pianos you can listen to that just sound like a little toy piano and it probably started out as a beautiful grand piano, but these samples get stepped on. And Anyway, there's a, we're in another sound reality now, which is also very interesting. It's all, I, I'm, there are interesting things you can do in the digital world that I really, really have a great time with. But yeah, that, that other
2: stuff is still for me the most emotionally involving. So, how do you balance your love of the physicality of analog with the convenience of digital in your practice?
1: Well, you know there are other things than there's, there are other things other than just convenience. There is a very expanded low end that you can play with that you couldn't get out of an analog record, out of a vinyl record. If you put as much bass on a vinyl record as goes on, it can go on a, a hard drive. Uh, it just, the needle jumps out of the groove, you know. So you have, to, there was a certain bandwidth that was, that still is incredibly attractive for music. The the, anal- the 33 and a third vinyl bandwidth, you know. Now it's a broader spectrum and it's fun. You know, we started working in movies and I'd come from the 33 and a third bandwidth and then we started working in movies and um, you're working in a, in a, Dolby theater was surround sound. So you start working at a completely different scale. That was an interesting transition uh into the digital world for me.
0: Uh speaking of the the movies, getting into movies and the production process, can you talk a little bit about how you got involved? Uh just to be honest, one of my favorite movies is Oh Brother Where Art oh, I Thou. That. And so can you talk a little bit about getting involved with that process and what it looked like to produce that music for that movie
1: well you know that that's a good example of what I'm talking about what one of the things we did with that with that music with that album with that movie was because we had so much potential low end in the theater we could create a much more full range sound for bluegrass than it had before right this is just a really mundane reality no. you know yeah. but Bluegrass, for years, had gotten higher and higher as the, the the banjo got tighter and everything got faster and and tighter and it, and and it started competing with rock and roll. So they started trying to add volume to all of that high energy, and it did. It just didn't translate the way uh, uh, Les Paul guitar did to that kind of sound. You know, Les Paul would smooth things out. So what we were able to do was. Back off on all that attack because I mean I guess it started with Earl Scruggs you know and mm-hmm. he was just the most attacking musician I mean they would he would tune his banjo up to get it you know I guess to, to I guess back then they were playing dance music so it was a whole other it was a whole other use you know right. rather than a rock and roll concert or something at any rate. We were able to expand, have a much bigger spectrum for bluegrass music, and it was more inviting for a modern, from you know the the audience of that time because it didn't attack the same way. It was more immersive or involving.
2: So your involvement with uh, film and television now is legendary because of your exquisite taste in music. I mean, <laughs> I, one of the things that I know that it is, uh, if T-Bone Burnett has something to do with a movie or a television show, I want to watch it just to hear what music <laughs> is on the show. And I, I know I'm not alone. So I'm wondering, how do you how do you go about choosing music for, uh, for movies or television? I mean, for Oh Brother, there may have been some obvious choices. But for, say, True Detective or a lot of your other shows, a lot of the choices are surprising, but perfect once you uh, once you hear them well you know it all grows out of character first of all the um
1: the story has to grow out of the character you know if the character grows out of the story then bad things happen that you integrity gets lost along the way but um if the you know when we were doing crazy hard, Jeff bridges and Stephen Bruton and I sat around for months writing songs and talking about this character, Bad Blake, who he was, and you build a history for him. What's, you know, in Jeff's case, we had to find prototypes that were chess singers like he is, you know, we couldn't try to force him into being a George Jones type country singer. So we had to look for somebody. We found, you know, Don Williams was a, was one of the people we used as a prototype, and Leonard Cohen was one of the people we used as a prototype. This kid, he grew up in Fort Worth, Texas. He, when he was 14, he heard Leonard Cohen and got into that. And then he got into, you know, and eventually, you know, we just led him through his whole life. What's the first record he ever bought? how did you get into music and how did you get into music in the first, you know, all of those questions that you ask that that define a a character. And then once you have all that stuff into the character, then everything that that's the vocabulary you use to work outwardly. And maybe it's a song from from his history. You, You see what I mean? it may it doesn't have to be you can write a song out of all that history but you can also pull a song out of that history and put it out because it's
2: what's going on in his being at that time so that's fascinating so everything that you do from what you're saying builds on the character or helps develop the character
1: yeah that well it it do, it does develop the character whether you it's just whether you do it well or not you know whether you keep it whether it is really really does help. Sometimes we help more than other times. Oftentimes there's not the great choice, you know.
0: So what are you listening to now or working on now? Um, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: I'm, I'm working on several things. I'm working on an album of the Fisk Jubilee singers singing the songs of the Highlander Folk School. I'm very interested in that. Uh, I'm, I've written... 40 songs this year that i've begun recording i've got three hours of music recorded so far and i'm playing friday at the hardly strictly bluegrass festival and i'm going to play all my uh a group of my new songs it's all electronic music and it's all triggering and so it's a (laughs) it's going to be a departure but but i'm going to be i'm going to be putting things in here and there too I'm gonna put in that song Chance the Rapper did the other night on Stephen Colbert. You know, the day is coming. What, I can't remember the line exactly, but it's a killer song, killer line. That guy's amazing. Yeah. Mm. And um, I'm, I'm gonna be putting stuff in. There's some music I found that I've sampled that I'm gonna so I'm gonna make it, it's gonna be a little bit like a DJ show, but a completely beatnik DJ show. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I'm going to start putting the music out, releasing it probably later this year or early next year. I'll probably have three albums that will come out, every one every six months or something like that.
2: So you've been in incredibly prolific in your career, and you've done a lot as a producer, but also as a composer and songwriter. So I'm curious if you make a distinction or see a distinction between the really collaborative Roles that you play as in a producer um, versus when you're writing songs, and you could potentially do it by yourself.
1: I don't. I'm not. I'm not seeking solitude to create now. I'm, I'm at this point in my life. I'm enjoying the collaboration the most, you know. And um, I'm writing a lot. I, I find a lot of solitude from. I, I've been waking up about four in the morning and writing for three hours. While everything, while the dogs and everybody's asleep, you know, it's just dead quiet, and um, and then sometimes getting up, and sometimes sleeping in another hour or two. But so that's so I am getting that part of what I need out of that, just by finding the time myself. Solitude seems to be so important to, to the creative process at times, you know, but at other times, you, once you've gone through that period of solitude, you have to get out and collaborate.
2: So. So what do you value about the collaborative process? I, I, you know, being with people.
1: Being with people, especially, you know, I have now a large group of people, and we all love each other, and we all love being together and doing things and and playing music together. And, you know, that's—I was just doing a, uh, an interview about— um, about leadership, I was saying to him, he said, what is the difference between, like, we try to teach corporate people about creativity and unleashing their creativity. And he said, what is it about over there in the creative world how creativity gets unleashed? And I thought about it for a moment, but I I think it, I have to say it's love, that there's a deep, deep love among all the participants of the thing they're doing, a deep, a profound respect and a deep love, uh, not just of each other, but of just the very th- pursuit. And I, 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 I think that comes in on sports teams too, when they're great sports teams. I think they all come together around this love of the sport, love of the game. And, and I think that's harder to engender in a corporate environment where everybody's basically there to do one thing, you know. So that's not to be unsympathetic to it, but it's how do you engender – I guess the question is, how do you go into that environment and engender love? Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) I've got one more question, and we ask this of all our guests. What's a book that changed your life? I can think of
1: a thousand books that
0: changed my life, you know, but if there was a book, I don't know. Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be the book. I would say,
1: well, Eduardo Galeano, (laughs) A Book of Embraces, you know, you could start there, there – there's so many Roberto Bologna and
0: Antwerp a little books. Let's talk about that, because I study Latin American literature. So. Oh, well,
1: I love all that. I love, you know, I love Bores. I love I love uh, uh, all of that, yeah. uh, that writing down there. Those writers are insanely great, you know, communists and liberationists and fighters it's amazing it's an amazing place I try to write as
2: a magical realist a lot you know I try to write in that other space actually could you say a little bit more about that because what is the connection between the literature that you love the magical realism and the music that you write well you know so more and more the the further I go I'm just
1: stealing from everything it can be anything it could be some website or something and two words go together and it you know so you know it all it all the stuff you love all affects you greatly you know the
2: so i don't know i don't I don't know, that's what i can't talk about i don't know how to talk about that so uh, my other question is getting back to analog versus digital you know that uh, that there's a long running debate about the warmth of analog and and people will will uh, fall on one side or the other and, and uh, fiercely um, argue that one sounds better than the other, analog sounds better than digital, or digital is better than analog. How do you approach those kinds of, uh, of debates, given that you work with both? Well, I would say, first of all, there are attributes to
1: both. I think it's undeniable that uh, music that was... Made on analog equipment sounds better, being played back on analog equipment. Like the Beatles in mono on vinyl is the way that music actually sounds. So in that way, the the uh, technology becomes part of the content. You know, the content isn't the thing on the technology. The content is the whole thing. So. I say, you know Marshall McLuhan said, A medium surrounds a previous medium and turns the previous medium into an art form as uh, as movies did with novels and as television did with movies and as now the internet has done with television, and in that way the, the medium of anal- of digital has surrounded analog and turned it into an art form, so analog's not going to go away and and really, you don't have you don't have to make a choice. You could have a record player and vinyl to listen in that environment. I mean, I have in my house. I have five record players in rooms, you know. But I also listen on digital all the time. I mean, I work in digital all the time. You know, I'm working in Pro Tools most of the time. So, and that and I and I can make that sound great. And I even keep it to my ears sounding. I work towards creating the resonance in digital recording that I like in analog recording, so I try to match them up as closely as I can do as a, as close a facsimile as imaginable you know and I think we've been pretty successful by inserting so much analog technology into the chain that you're constantly replacing overtones that are getting lost, you're constantly replacing distortion that's getting flattened out and and um that's the, sort of the excitement, all of the, that sonic excitement of if you turn the thing up, the, it reacts differently to the room and all of that.
0: Well, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. So happy to be here. Yeah. Thank you.
2: Thank Wonderful you. to have you here. Great, you guys. Thank awesome. you. Thanks a lot. So I write about music and technology. So I'm just like you know, <laughs> no. trying not to jump in and say, "Yeah, yeah. no, no, no." But no, don't no, you no.
1: think that's right? Why, I, know, I totally we still think, have yeah. whale
2: paintings. Yeah. You know, what's yes, why does know. there have why does there have to be a choice? Well, I talk about uh, in my classes technological coexistence. So I say, look yeah. at look at this table. There's a, a bottle. There, are pens. There's paper. Yeah. Those are old technologies, and then you mm. have a laptop. That's a new technology. Microphone. Middle. Middle. <laughs> right. I mean. We don't, we don't. One doesn't replace the other. So I thought. So I was com- I'm completely in agreement with what yeah. you're talking about. I mean, yeah. And analog needs, you know, digital needs analog. Analog needs digital. I mean, you well, really can. If the, know, if there them, if right? it weren't
1: for until recently, really, if it weren't for analog, there, would, there would be there would be little digital, you know, well, music. Yeah, right. And yeah.
2: in fact, all digital. I mean. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but all sound is analog, right? If it starts out digital on a computer, when it comes out the speaker, it's analog, yeah, because it's in a wave. There are no digital right. waves, right? Um, so, so in effect, all those, right? right, all all sound is analog. So it's just how you get to, yeah. you know, get to it.
1: The the you know the problem with digital is how spiky it is, and. The problem with the way music's been being listened to is people listen to it right in their ears mm-hmm. with that real yeah. spiky music, and right. you know you can see it in a digital uh, readout. You know that you, know, you can see the spikes just mm-hmm. going straight up,
2: and you can take them and flatten them. You can, well, that's that's the beautiful thing about yeah. It. yeah. So people complain about compression making everything t you semen know, all the time. Yeah, right.
1: And but that's because of that, right? Exactly. They're trying to get
2: as loud as they can. But if they
1: get it as the soft, as loud as they can, then the, the loud oh, stuff yeah. will pierce yeah, your interest. they
2: just compress the, right. the dynamic the, spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, because if you're in a car, you can't hear it when it's quiet, so everything <laughs> has to be loud. So. Yeah. on uh, the train. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. I mean, this was uh, just a thrill. Well, it was fun. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Check back at IEH.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on our website, as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IEH